Welcome to Pop Psych 101, where we, licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad and licensed psychologist Dr. Haley Roberts, break down and analyze how mental health is represented in movies, shows, books, and across the pop culture and social media landscape. We will determine what lines up with real life and what is just pop culture fantasy. This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad, here as always with my co-host, Dr. Haley Roberts. Hello, hello. Hello, Haley. We are back again. Really excited. You know, I always say I'm excited, but this is uh, one I'm extra special excited for because it's a Disney kids movie, and that's the only type of television and movies I'm really allowed to watch. (laughs) with some consistency these days. So I just got to merge the most common things that I'm doing right now. Excellent. And uh, this one was a particularly good one. And oft requested. It's, you know, therapists across the social media landscape are talking about Encanto. So we will be sharing our thoughts and, and analysis after the break. But before we do... Obviously, it's a movie about magic and gifts and and essentially superpowers. So it, for me, it raised this question of, you know, like favorite superheroes. We get, we've gotten to do some superhero content mm-hmm. here and there on the podcast, but are, are you a big superhero person? Like, do you have a favorite? Yes, I certainly do. I love superheroes. I think the yeah. kind of Avengers stuff became so like, involved that it kind of pulled me away from it but i love a good superheroes saga so like the oversaturation of the marvel avengers stuff has made you more interested in some other type of superheroes or like you you see your see things you're interested in elsewhere yeah Yeah, totally so what uh, i'll tell you who my favorites have always been which was yeah the x-men i always loved the x-men okay yeah like originally it was storm that was my favorite she was the coolest nice. and then it became rogue when i got older and so i was really obsessed with these really strong powerful women and then i went through a batman phase and oh my gosh did you ever watch the tv show alex mack totally she could like turn into a, like a liquid Goo? Glue, the goop. yeah <laughs> yeah i yes. loved her that was the best i wanted to be her so bad nice. <laughs> how about you yeah it's uh, it's funny i mean as a kid it was like who was the most relatable superhero mm-hmm. yep. and that to me was always spider-man like the nerdy kind of outcast uh-huh. kid who you know magically gets superpowers in a way that you could sort of see happening in real life obviously knowing that you know no one's going to get the powers of a super powered spider but like oh like uh, uh yeah totally like a, a genetically altered spider bit him and then he got spider powers like i could totally see that happening like that tracks yeah yeah totally so spider-man was definitely the biggest one for me i did also enjoy the x-men i liked the characters or i should say i should like i liked the x-men who were a little bit more on the like funnier edgier side so Uh your gambits and wolverines and yeah yeah those those were some of my favorites yeah and you know it's just just fun to kind of think about 
those different superpowers and and like the extent to which of like oh like would i really want to be a superhero because obviously as as peter parker himself acknowledges like comes with great responsibility so yeah. it's just a funny thing to think about especially as it relates to the movie we're going to be talking about today so i don't know would you want to be a superhero not in the sense that i'm out there saving the world but i don't know that i wouldn't mind having a power here or there sure yeah yeah that's that's kind of how i'm framing it as well like having the superpower as if it's like sort of like a on the low secret cool thing that i can do uh -huh. great but yeah. as soon as it becomes like uh, public knowledge, it just seems like it totally changes everything. So yeah, there are some downsides. Yeah, it's really in my values to help other people. So then I'm like, well, if I had a superpower, would I use it to help other people? I don't know. I'll have to wait until I'm bitten <laughs> by a radioactive spider. Yes, until we can really find <laughs> out for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, we're going to deal with some other people who, like it or not, have some powers that they have to kind of reckon with. So right after this break, come back and we will talk about Encanto. Hey everyone, Ryan here. No ad this week, but a quick request. We would love to know where you follow us. So if you wouldn't mind taking 10 seconds while you're listening to today's episode, reach out to us on your social media of choice. Say hi, say what's up, request an episode topic. We would love to hear from you. And now back to the episode. Pop Psych 101 discusses mental health as it is portrayed in pop culture media. And because of this, we often cover sensitive topics that can be triggering for some listeners. We also delve into the characters and plots of these stories, and therefore, spoilers abound. So please, use your discretion as you listen to the rest of the episode. Encanto is a 2021 Disney animated musical comedy featuring the Madrigals. The Madrigals are an extraordinary family who live hidden in the mountains of Colombia in a charmed place called the Encanto. The magic of the Encanto has blessed every child in the family with a unique gift, every child except Mirabelle. However, she soon discovers that she may be the Madrigal's last hope when she discovers that the magic surrounding the Encanto is now in danger. And off they go on their musical adventure. Yeah. So right off the bat, Haley, I, I was really excited when I heard about this movie coming out because it was, it was very clear that it was going to be complex family dynamics just sort of immediately, right? Uh -huh. All these different characters dealing with different sort of personalities and different gifts or uh, miracles uh, in, in different cases. And mm -hmm. it was, uh, I was excited to see how those different characters were going to interact. And luckily for us, they kind of set up the whole family right at the beginning with a lovely um, introductory song, which uh -huh. frankly, I appreciated, as I'm sure the kids in the village did as well. Yeah, really just explaining who everybody is and what they can do. Yeah, and, and you can imagine that the, that's sort of one of the things that was fascinating, right? Because this whole little village was founded because of this family right mm -hmm. people i guess like wandered into their little valley and they just gradually took in more and more and took care of more and more people as their little yeah. family and the village grows and it's it starts off like oh that's really nice right that yeah. they're just there taking care of everyone and building houses and doing all these lovely things for everyone in the village but it doesn't take long for us to kind of get a sense that there's something a little off 
in the way some of these gifts are used or the way that the family is relied upon for a lot of things within the village. So my question for you to start us out is like, what was the first uh-oh for you? Or like, what's going on here or something you were concerned about as we were introduced to this family? Well, looking back, I have a different answer. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, yeah. That's so funny. So looking back, it's obviously in the first song when they're like, we don't talk about Uncle Bruno. Yes, of course. Yeah. But for me, like in my notes, the first time I said, oh, no, was a point where I was like, oh, no, did she not get a gift? And I can't remember at what point I thought where that came to me that maybe she, oh, oh, I remember all the kids in the town are asking her what her gift is. And she kind of keeps, what about Mirabelle? Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And then when they ask her about everybody else's gifts, she's more than happy to tell them what gifts they have, but she keeps dodging the question for herself. And so I was like, oh no, did she not get a gift? Yeah. So they, they set it up almost immediately of, yeah. You know, they don't explain why, and it's it's sort of nobody knows why. Yeah. But Mirabelle, unlike her two sisters and biological sort of members of the family, uh-huh. they all have these different gifts, these different powers, right? Mm-hmm. And she is unique in the way that she was not given a gift or a power on her, like they have a special day, I guess, when the child turns a certain age. Mm-hmm that they're supposed to get their own bedroom and their own power. And man, like when we learn the stuff about Mirabelle and we see that not only does she not get a gift, but she shares like a bedroom, which they call the nursery, like with one of her cousins. Uh It's like, man, like that for me was the, oh no. It's like, okay, like it's one thing if she didn't get a gift, like, oh, that's weird. But, but can't she have a bedroom of her own can't we do some other nice things for her no we're just going to kind of completely like exclude her from like family pictures and things like that that they kind of do to her early on in this movie it's really really sad in this initial setup yeah well because the house is the one that like gives them the rooms right and so they were like well this is the only room we have for people without powers and I guess that's you Mirabelle (laughs) there's like the alphabet wallpaper right (laughs) Oh my gosh, I know. And and you know, I guess that's the the sort of discrepancy that I felt like I was catching was, okay, so this is like a magical house, Casita, uh-huh. which if I'm being honest, like felt very much like like in some ways the smart house of the future, but also uh-huh. like instead of like technology connecting all these things, it was just magic. Uh-huh. I was like, "Oh, that, that you know, I could see houses getting to this point where you could talk to your house and it could bring you your shoes oh, and it could like roll an alarm clock in. So I kind of got a tickle out of that. But so the house can do all these magical things, but it can't create an extra special bedroom for someone just because they don't have a gift. Like, I don't know. I, 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 I liked the house's personality from what we got from it, but I felt like it was capable a little bit more than it was offering Mirabelle. Well, I think that the house gives each person what they need. And this isn't isn't explicit, but to me, I ultimately think that like her gift was love and bringing the family together. And she didn't need this big fancy room for that. And actually the way that you see her interacting with her younger cousin and kind of talking him through it and protecting him, her place was in that room with him. And forming that relationship with him, even though like 
the psychological impact of having to stay in that room, I think the house did not think about. But the house gives you what you need, right? The the younger brother or the younger cousin, I don't remember what his name was, but he got a jungle because his gift is animal-based. Yes. She didn't need a jungle. She didn't need f- a flower garden. <laughs> she didn't need any of that stuff. She just needed to be able to be present with her family. Yeah, and and totally on board with that. It's clear over the course of the movie that if she does have a gift or a talent for something, it is being able to notice and and validate how her family members are feeling Mm -hmm. like beyond their gift, right? Beyond all the things they're expected to do for the family or for the village. Mm -hmm. And she gets her sisters to open up and she gets them to loosen up. Mm -hmm. And that even if it's not like formally a a gift that is like announced to the village is clearly something that her sisters uh, grow to appreciate over the course yeah. of the movie. Yeah, her gift is hugs. I think she gives yes. so many of them yes. when they're needed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and emotional hugs too, right? The sort of yeah. sense of like, hey, I know you were worried about this or, hey, I know this must be difficult for you. Like what's really going on, you know, more or less like the therapist of the movie of the, of the family. Yeah. I think that can also be problematic sometimes when you become your family's therapist a little bit. Right. And that's the sort of troubling dynamic that we start to see more and more of is like, Mm -hmm. yes, she holds on to these secrets and, and, and feelings for people around her and even though she's doing that obviously important work, she's just kind of brushed to the side. And it's like, just kind of, and, you know, especially Abuela just kind of says, you know, stay yeah. out of the way. Like, mm-hmm. you know, at one point she just says, those of us, like some people just need to step aside. Mm-hmm. And my goodness, a lot of, a lot of pain there. And I think maybe as the, as a therapist myself, you kind of, in some extra ways, I, th- I felt like I was relating to Mirabelle. I'm just like, man, she just wants everyone to talk about how they're really feeling. Yeah. You know, she supports Antonio when he's going through uh, the ceremony and he's obviously freaked out about it. Like she wants him to talk about how he's feeling. And, you know, obviously she connects with Bruno when she finds him in the walls and all uh-huh. these things. And it's like, oh. It's so much what all of these people need, and yet no one else is offering that to them. Yeah. Yeah. But what I do think really balances it out in a way that's really lovely and kind of keeps it from being a problem is how supportive her mom is. Because her mom asks her to talk. Her mom asks her to discuss whether she's feeling bad about the ceremonies and things like that. And she just goes, I'm fine. No, I'm fine. The, the joke in the in the movie is maybe your gift is denial. And there were yes, a few moments yes. where she avoids talking about how she's feeling and she avoids addressing it with others because she wants to kind of stay out of the way and not be a problem. And her mom, I think, is a very supportive, wonderful character in that moment. Mm-hmm. And in multiple moments. Yeah, so you pointed out something really important in terms of Mirabelle's experience of some of the stuff, which is she pressures herself, and obviously the family sort of implicitly pressures as well, to just sort of be okay, be fine, be mm-hmm. neutral, be out of the way, be unobtrusive. Mm-hmm. And even in the in sort of her first big song that's really about her, Waiting on a Miracle, she she says to herself, you know, don't be upset or mad at all. Don't feel mm-hmm. regret or sad at all. 
and she says i'm and i'm fine i'm totally fine i will stand on the side as you shine but then she acknowledges i'm not fine i'm not fine now i don't know i don't know if you if this is like a colloquialism you have but you know in therapy when my patients say that they're fine i tell them a sort of uh what do you call it a mnemonic like what fine stands for f-i-n-e Mm-hmm. Do you, are you use this as well? I know what yours is. No, I... You know what mine is. I'm yes. totally on board with the word fine, but I know what yours is. <laughs> oh, okay. So, well, I, well, so I guess, and it's just because, and this is just, again, in my experience, like when we say we're fine, it's just sort of the way to say, I don't want to talk about it, or uh-huh. it's like, I'm good enough to not think about it anymore, Yeah. where there's some implicit desire to avoid a further conversation. So... Mm-hmm. So for me, hearing Mirabelle say, I'm not fine, I'm not fine, it's like, okay, like, good. I'm glad that we're acknowledging that. And, and you know, we're pushing into some more honest emotion when we yeah. get to that song. Yeah, I think um, something that I talk about a lot in my work is how culture affects the way that we view ourselves and our emotions. And yep. a, a very American way of viewing emotions so basically, there was a study done years ago, and I don't remember who or where. However, the results basically were Americans, North Americans, United States Americans, were shown a neutral face emoji, a sad face emoji, and a happy face emoji. And they were asked to kind of rate the emotions. And the happy face was seen as positive emotions. And then the neutral and sad face were both seen as negative emotions. The Europeans that were in this study were shown the same things and they saw the happy as happy, the neutral as neutral, and the sad as sad. And I think that while this is kind of a small difference, it's actually really a big difference because then here, if you say I'm fine, it does mean that it falls into that negative category rather than just being a neutral. Oh, sure. Yeah. I guess it's this sort of in some ways, like pressure to be fine, pressure to be more than fine. Okay. Amidst all of these different things. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. if you say like, oh, I'm fine. People go just fine. <laughs> That's always the response. So there's this pressure to be more than fine. Yeah. Well, I guess for me, it's like fine is what you say in passing. It's like, oh, how are you doing? Oh, fine. How are you? Mm-mm. It's sort of like the way to say, um, either I don't want to talk about it, or in many cases with people who I work with, I don't know if you can handle how I'm actually doing. Yeah. Sort of this internal sense of if I told you what's actually going on, that would be a me putting a burden on you. Yeah. And and we see that to a certain degree from Mirabelle of yeah. you know, when her mom comes and checks on her, when when she tries to talk to to different people, even like talking to the kids in the village is sort of like, yeah, look at all these wonderful things that my family does. And, but they're like, well, what about you? And she's like, Oh no, I'm not here to be autobiographical. Like it's not about me. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's, that's her internal drive is to be not noticed because that's safer. Yeah. So the line is I'm not fine and I need someone to see that from the song. And what's so interesting is she puts a lot of pressure or puts a lot of effort into not being seen and then feels really lonely when nobody sees her. And I think a lot of us humans do that. We put up these walls to protect ourselves and then we're shocked that 
people can't get through the walls and we're lonely inside our walls. And I often say that to my patients, which is walls are fantastic for protecting you. They're also fantastic at keeping people out and that can get very lonely. And a lot of times all people want is to be seen. And I think, you know, whether it's they want to be represented on the screen or whether it's they want their sadness to be seen, I think people just want to be seen. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, Mirabelle had this sort of traumatic experience with being seen, right, where she's out uh-huh. in front of the whole family, in front of the whole village. And here is the opportunity when everyone's expecting you to kind of rise to the occasion and get your gift and receive this miracle and all these wonderful things that are supposed to happen when the eyes are on you. And for her to have that experience of you know, not only did she not get a gift, but as we said before, like she doesn't get a bedroom and she also gets this sort of like shunning experience from her yeah. grandmother who's uh-huh. now associates her with like the dying magic of the family. Mm-hmm. It all of a sudden, like we can understand the association of like, oh, it's just better for me to like not be seen by Abuela, not yeah. be noticed. Yeah, nothing to see here. Just like support yeah. everybody else. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I mean, the movie would have ended very quickly, but the grandmother, the Abuela, had a chance to really make it okay, right? Like the yep. saddest moment in this movie is when little tiny Mirabelle looks up at grandma with the like, I've fallen over. How do I feel? Look yeah, on her like face. Like, what's wrong? Yeah. yeah what like, happened? you tell yeah. me how I'm supposed to feel here. And mm-hmm. all grandma yep. needed to do in that moment was be like, hey, it's fine. It makes me think of there was a supposed Gandhi quote where he was <laughs> asked by a professor who was trying to trick him if he found a box of money or a box of wisdom, which one would you take? And Gandhi said money. And then the professor was like, haha, I would take wisdom. You're selfish, whatever. And then Gandhi's response supposedly was a person will only take what they don't already have. And mm. In that moment, that grandma so easily could have used a similar kind of approach of, you already have all the gifts you need, you don't need another one, which is the kind of protective work mom tries to do later in her life. But it's kind of too late. Grandma's already put so much damage in there in that moment of being like, Mm -hmm. you've ruined the family. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, and and it does kind of speak to how much power like these authority figures have in these children's lives yeah. where they can be light and soft and supportive and encouraging, much like Mirabelle's parents. You know, her dad's kind of very goofy and yeah. he gets stung by the bees all the time and he's just kind of laughs it off and because well, he's got a wife that'll just feed him and fix it. <laughs> well, yeah, but but even at the end of the movie, when he gets stung yeah, by true. bees, he's just like it'll it'll wear off. Like yeah. he just, you know. And I think there there are really positive role models in the family of you know what we do when things happen that we didn't expect or we didn't want or painful things. And then there's sort of the the sort of larger family system dynamic of what we're expected to do, what we're supposed to do with these gifts, with these miracles, that sort of does put a lot of pressure on every individual within the family, right? Yeah. As you say that, it's so interesting. Like there's so many wonderful adults in that family who don't have gifts because they're not biologically Mm -hmm. in that family line. That's right. 
Yep. And they get pushed aside kind of. So like it never even, I was aware that they didn't have powers, but it never even occurred to me like Mirabelle is like them. It's okay. Like you've got lovely family members who don't have magical abilities. So it's funny, like even within that family, it didn't occur to me like, oh, she's not the only one in the family without a gift. She's the, just the only biological one who doesn't have a gift. Right. She's the only one that had the opportunity to get a gift that yeah. did not get it. Yeah. Also, imagine marrying into that family. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no joke. <laughs> <laughs> like both a win and so much pressure. <laughs> That's right. And and speaking of pressure, that's sort of like one of the the biggest next songs, right, is as things start to Uh break down, Mirabelle starts to kind of ask questions and explore, like, why why is the house cracking? Like, who knows something? Who's noticing these things that I'm noticing after Antonio's gift ceremony? And she talks to one of her sisters, and I'm going to now I'm going to have to go through all the different characters her sisters are isabella and louisa yes and then right so it's actually not it's her cousin who hears everything right Uh yeah who you know she asked first like oh maybe you know some of these secrets and she's like well i heard louisa um i heard louisa's eye twitching which is (laughs) like a hilarious sort of something that someone would notice that something was wrong and then Mirabelle kind of goes and starts to investigate, starts to ask more questions. And and it turns out that, yes, Louisa also felt something. She felt weak, right? She wasn't mm-hmm. able to lift all the donkeys. And then the I think, you know, probably after we don't talk about Bruno, this song is the song that I've seen kind of get the most appreciation for mm-hmm. the sort of notes that it hits and like an emotional standpoint. Mm-hmm. The song Surface Pressure, right, sung by Louisa and... And she talks about the the difficulty of being the strong one in the family, the the one who's supposed to be able to handle all the pressure and carry everything. And, um, you know, if you can't handle something, just give it to Louisa, give it to your sister. Right. Mm -hmm. So I wonder what, you know, what your reaction was as you're listening to that song and sort of seeing more of this character, Louisa. Yeah, I definitely think obviously the there's a super simple metaphor for our purposes yep. of the holding it all together to appear strong. Um, and in her case, it's physical strength. However, it also is emotional strength, right? Like she says, totally. there's always something for me to do and everybody's always expecting me to fix it or lift it or change it. And she's like, it's a lot. There's like, I never sit down. I never rest. And it's okay because I have this gift that gives me the ability to do it. However, like I don't always want to be doing it. And then at the same time, there's the line in the song, well, who am I if I can't carry it all? And Mm -hmm. it falls both into like, what happens if I fall apart, which is a question I think we've all asked ourselves, but then also the loss of identity, right? If she's seen as the person who can carry it all, lift it all, do it all. And that's what she spent her whole life since her ceremony doing. What does she do if that goes away? Who is she if that goes away? And that loss of identity is scary for a lot of people in a lot of different ways. Who am I if I'm not a mother? Who am I if I'm not a an athlete? Who am I if I can't carry everything? Yeah, and I, right, so the identity is a big piece. And my, my sort of favorite, and it's still a very sad sort of stanza from this song, but is when Louisa sort of like entertains the idea that if she 
didn't have the weight of these expectations like what would that free up some room for and she uh -huh. says you know would that free some room up for joy or relaxation or simple pleasure um instead we measure this growing pressure keeps growing keep going because we all know it's pressure right mm -hmm. and it's like man when you hear someone say that you immediately think oh my gosh we see you doing all these things and lifting houses and bridges but do you not have relaxation or simple pressure or simple pleasure? Because that's tragic, right? In the, yeah. in the scope of the way this family is portrayed initially. Yeah. Expectation from family and from others is huge, right? It can keep us from yeah. doing a lot of things that are meaningful to us. And I think expectation very seldom is take care of yourself and taking care of yourself is often seen as really selfish and all she wants to yep. do is like lie in the hammock for a second. <laughs> right. Yeah. In singing this song to Mirabelle and telling her how she's feeling that she finally starts crying and she comes mm -hmm. home after singing that song and she cries to Abuela and Abuela's like, what did you do uh -huh. to Louisa? You know, the implication being that you've broken her by allowing her to feel. Mm-hmm. Well, and also her strength was waning. And so like the combination of like, she can't lift right. this piano right. and also she's crying. Yeah. Yeah. Because crying is seen as weakness. Feeling is seen as weakness and how stupid. I know. If you're not using or cultivating your gift, especially in service of others or in service mm -hmm. of the community, who are you, money. right? You're not yeah. doing sort of what, what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Y'all, if we, if you take any hot take from me and Ryan, it's that feelings are not what make you strong. That's right. You heard it or I here suppose first. Not having feelings, <laughs> not having feelings is not, I don't know. There's too many double negatives here. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. So, you know, we, we start to see these uh, literal and figurative cracks for these characters and for the house of, oh, oh man, there is a lot going on for for almost everyone. And for some of the characters, we only get we only get glimpses of what quote unquote they're dealing with under the surface, right? Mm -hmm. We see Aunt Peppa, who's and it's unclear. I don't know what your impression of her was, but is like, is, does she control the weather with her emotions? Or no. does the weather display <laughs> or like the weather is brought forth from her emotions? The weather is brought forth from her emotions. Right. So the extent to which she can control the weather is just being able to like, quote unquote, calm down. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's why she when she I think sees I think it's when she sees like Bruno's vision. She's like, calm down, calm down. You're OK. You're OK. Because she doesn't want the like yes. weather to start building up. And the more she tries to control it, the worse the weather gets. Right. So that's that's where they go to from from surface pressure is the next song is as Mirabelle is doing more and more is investigating is we don't talk about Bruno. Right. And it's it starts out with Peppa telling the story of, you know, essentially why Bruno was was shunned or why she in in particular doesn't talk about Bruno. And you just start to get this picture of of sort of what's actually going on for this family, which is that these gifts are burdens for a lot of them. Yeah. Bruno can 
see the future. But anytime he like has a look on his face, everyone starts to freak out and kind of either desperately wants to know what he sees or like wants him to go hide in his room so they don't have to deal with what he knows. Uh, this is sort of like the most popular song, as far as I can tell, like in the world right now. My daughter comes home from school singing it. It's on the <laughs> like pop charts. Oh, funny. Yeah. So so this is not only a, a relatable song, but one with a really commonly felt experience within a, let's say, a certain type of family dynamic. Yeah. I think the interesting thing about you kind of said like people either want to know what he's seeing or they want to send him off so that they don't have to deal with it. And what I think is so interesting is it the narrative that people create around what he sees is that mm-hmm. he is making it happen. And when he's right. later talking he's to Mirabelle, yeah. yeah, when he's later talking to Mirabelle, he's like, these things are what are happening or are going to happen. I'm not making them happen. And we create those same type of narratives about our emotional experiences. Something that I am doing is making me feel this way rather than recognizing like, maybe you just feel that way. Like maybe those emotions, those thoughts are just popping up and then choosing how you want to respond to them is within your control is your own choice. And unfortunately, because of the narratives that they have for Bruno, he eventually is like, okay, well, the way that I'm going to deal with this is I'm just not going to have these thoughts or fe- or these visions, which of course he still probably can have. Well, he can still have them, but he just disappears and yep. hides his gift, literally. Hides his gift, hides himself, right? Yeah. Completely isolates himself from the family. Mm-hmm. And it seems like, you know, sort of one of the tragic things is the cousin Dolores who can hear everything clearly knows that he's in the walls. Uh, so that was the, I feel like we have to do a shout out to this, uh, this tweet that I sent you today where the guy, yeah. his, his name is <laughs> Vinny Thomas at Vin underscore a Y Y. And he says, I'm sorry, but the real villain in in Encanto was the cousin who said, I heard him the whole time and I just let him rot. <laughs> Which yes. it never I never <laughs> thought of that. Like, of course, if she can hear the eye of Louisa twitch, she can certainly yes. hear Bruno just on the other side of the table having dinner with the family. Like talking to his rats or whatever. Oh yeah. My absolutely. Gosh. That is so funny. Oh uh, yeah, she's she's the villain. How we never well, knew. <laughs> well, right. But even you know, villain or not, she's she's living into this sort of family dynamic or family belief of this uncle was shunned for a reason. And even yeah. if he's whether he's in the walls or not, he's not part of the family. Yeah. So she's like, oh yeah, right. No, we don't talk about Bruno, even though I know he's like literally five feet away from us at all times. Yeah. Like, yep, nope, he's 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 gone. Not not here. Yeah. And you start to see the burden that they all hold. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to take the devil's advocate approach here as well okay. to my own point. She okay. thought she was protecting him. And she was like, you know what? He made this choice for himself. And I trust that he made the decision that was important for him. And I'm not going to be the one that's going to rat him out. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's totally <laughs> fair. And I think that's that's probably how she had to frame it, right? Of 
She can hear him every day. She knows he's alive and has food. You know, he sits on his little table behind the wall and eats, quote unquote, with them. And it's very sad. But, you know, as far as she knows, he even maybe to a certain extent prefers things that way. So he doesn't, you know, angry anger Abuela and, and, you know, burden people with all of his prophecies. So it's this weird unspoken agreement in a in a. I guess in in one sense, it is very spoken. We don't talk about Bruno, but in another (laughs) sense, it's like, no, you know, whether you know where he is or you don't, like, we're not even um, like entertaining the idea of what, who he is, what he knows, where he is, all these things. It's, it's really tough. Especially because it's her mom and dad specifically who very specifically don't talk about Bruno because of the wedding day That's fiasco. Right. Um, and yes. so children honor their parents' stances on mm-hmm. things. And so, of course, she would. Yeah. So, you know, all of these uh, really heavy stuff that these different characters are dealing with and, and not talking about or singing about the fact that they're not talking about it. That's my other favorite meme for, about this movie is like, you know, for a character they don't, they're not supposed to talk about, they really love singing about it. (laughs) Like they get into the song. Which I think whenever we are like, I'm not talking to that person, you're never just like casual about it. Like you're usually got got a pretty big passionate thoughts about them rather than just like, oh yeah, no, I just don't really think about them. We could talk about them if you want to. Like to explicitly like, we don't talk about them. There's pretty strong feelings there. Yeah, and I think, um, and you mentioned this in your in your notes as well, the sense that, and this is sort of a common thing that happens in families, especially around mental health, like, oh, if so-and-so is is in therapy or struggling with something specific, like we don't talk about that. Like Mm -hmm. that's their business or that's private or that's um, uh, a family secret, all these sorts of things that families do sometimes consciously, sometimes just through kind of to your point, like um, just the way it's modeled right by the adults. And I think in so doing, it kind of turns it into this thing that's like a secret, but in a way of like, and you know, the kids start to question it. And especially Mirabelle's like, well, wait, why don't we talk about Bruno? Yeah. Yeah. Like what's, what's the deal? Like his door is still there. It can't have been that big of a deal. Well, cause he's, still yeah. In the house. So I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's something that I've seen a lot with, with patients that I've worked with is, you know, that's sort of like a very typical assessment question is go oh, like, who else knows that you're struggling with this or that you're coming into therapy? Like, is this something that, you're open about or is this something that's sort of you're dealing with for the first time and no one knows that you're here and you know people kind of run the the gamut on how comfortable they are being honest about their experiences with their family yeah and it highly depends on the people who structure the family right so in this case it's abuela and she makes it perfectly clear we do not talk about bruno we don't talk about your lack of a gift, you just shut your mouth and step aside and just let it happen. And and so that's what they do because that's the patterns in the family. And it's, it's really hard to change your own personal patterns. And it's even harder to change a network of behavioral patterns, which again is why I give the mom so much credit because she 
kind of steps out of that mold a little bit and she is really willing to like, hey, it's okay that you don't have a gift. Like you are perfect exactly how you are and let's talk about it. And she's very supportive in a way that Abuela has not modeled for her. Yeah. And then as Mirabelle continues her investigation and she finds Bruno and and she starts to learn about her gift or possible destiny that maybe she is the the one who can bring the family back together and save the miracle. Mm-hmm. And she attempts, you know, her first sort of magical hug <laughs> with her with her supposedly perfect or who's supposed to be perfect sister. Mm-hmm. And that's a, another really powerful moment you know throughout the first part of the movie we see Isabella or Issa and Mirabelle kind of really just kind of at odds like go back and forth like they are not on the same page they're not friends Um, as far as Issa is concerned like Mirabelle is just in the way and is making things uh, more difficult for her or for the family yeah they're definitely not on the same page about it yeah, and then Mirabelle tries to confront that. Tries to be almost like you know how we do the, like the non-apology of just like, okay, I'm sorry. Can we kind of hug this out and not talk yeah. about it? Like we're done here. We're good. Save the save the miracle. Like okay, bye. And then Issa, and probably to Issa's credit, was like not having that fake apology. This forces Mirabelle to be honest about how she sees Issa and what the relationship has been like for her. Yeah, I think what was so lovely about that whole interaction that the note that I have in all capitals is she's helping everyone feel their feelings. And the line from the song that I really liked was I'm so sick of pretty. I want something true. And Mm. what I really like about that line is that really fits into the under the surface song as well, which is that like, we put so much effort and pressure on ourselves to look perfect, to look strong, to look pretty. And when it comes down to it, people actually prefer gritty and true over pretty. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. And we try to present ourselves in a way that we think is preferable when actually most people agree. I'm so sick of pretty. I want something true. And then of course she pops up this cactus and she's like what is this like this is cool and what i really liked about that metaphor is that a cactus is still a flower or a plant and and an incredible one yeah and how cool it is that like before when she was trying to keep everything perfect it was just like whites and pinks and then when she embraced her whole emotional experience it was whites and pinks and cactuses and blues and browns and like all different colors in a way that was way more beautiful. And it's Mm -hmm. so funny when she finally gave up of trying to make everything look pretty and perfect, it actually looked better and beautiful, which is a metaphor. (laughs) Yeah. And, and some of the lines of the song, I think I, I, no, no, I agree. We're we're some of my favorite of the movie. Um, Issa says, you know, what could I do if I just grew what I was feeling in the moment? Mm -hmm. I mean, you and I both work with our patients on a lot of what are we feeling right now? Mindfulness, emotional awareness. And I think when I've certainly had this experience when people start tapping into that and I'll even do like, which for a lot of people feels very like, like, oh, this is silly. You want me to 
take this sheet of feeling words and specifically mm-hmm. identify how I'm feeling. And it's like, yeah, because we don't often do that. And what we find when we give ourselves time to delineate between I'm angry or I'm annoyed or I'm resentful is like, oh my gosh, when I say I'm resentful, that feels different. And when I just deal with the the honest feeling of the moment, it a, a different outcome happens when I'm processing that versus when I just say, oh my God, my mom's so annoying. Yeah, I completely agree. I think there's power in acknowledging the specificity of what you're feeling rather than just kind of the general. And the way that I will often describe it is if you know that you have something to do, but you can't remember what it is, there's a level of stress associated with that that's like pretty tiring. As opposed to if you have a to-do list where that thing is written down on the to-do list, you still have something to do and that still has stress on its own, but it doesn't have that same kind of like, what is it that I need to be doing stress associated with it? And I think our feelings are very similar. If we just like kind of generally know that we're having an experience, but we don't get to know what that experience is or label or identify what that experience is, it kind of stays this like overwhelming nebulous thing. So for you, what you do is you give them a list of words and and kind of go through it and pick one. What I will often do is I will have them give their feeling physical characteristics so mm, what, sure. what color is it? What texture is it? Does it have yep. sides and corners? Does it make a sound? Does it have heat or cold associated with it? And what that allows us to do is, is to take this thing that feels all encompassing and label it and recognize it as just a thing that's there. Yeah. Yeah. And categorize it in a way that that's maybe more helpful to them and sort of like, oh, like if I'm if I'm feeling this feeling or this experience, then I know what I need to do, what helps me feel better if it's if it's painful, what helps me embrace it, if it's something I've been tending to avoid. You know, the other thing that Issa says is, what could I do if I just knew it didn't need to be perfect? It just needed to be and they who we know who they is and they let me be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and frankly, a feeling that I could relate to, like not needing to be perfect, just like, oh, like what if whatever you wanted to do was fine, that you could just go and do that, how much that kind of takes the pressure off, uh, not just a family, but like the pressure we can put on ourselves sometimes. Yeah. Well, what's so funny that yeah. I have found is frequently the pressure that we think other people are putting on us is much greater than the pressure Absolutely. they're actually putting on us. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So we see this and it's like, oh, she's, you know, she's made up with Issa. Maybe this was all that needed to be solved. And they, you know, they, they collapse into the giant pile of flowers and plants and Abuela comes in and is mad because um, Issa is covered in all this uh, colorful dust. And what, what did you do, Mirabelle? Right. Of course. And then we start to see you know, the real source of the family's cracking, which is that Abuela has been so tight, so held on to this Encanto, this miracle, that that's where this pressure has been coming from for, what, decades, at least in the family now, you know, since she lost her husband, tragically, and we can totally uh, validate the the trauma that abuela has been through yeah but that as a result she started to you know really pass down this experience of self-expectations and family expectations 
and what they have to do because of the gifts they've been given. Yeah. And that's the hardest thing about growth is that relationships inevitably will change. Now, sometimes that change comes really easily and other times that change does not come easily. And what's happening is Luisa and Isabella, and then obviously Mirabel as well, they're changing the family dynamic because now she's growing cactuses instead of just pink flowers, or she's taking a rest instead of always doing stuff. And Abuela's answer is like, no, no, no. Like everything was perfect when it was a very certain way and you guys are changing it. And that is scary. And ultimately we see that like growth works out really beautifully and wonderfully for the family. However, growth is uncomfortable. It's being willing to do things differently and in a new way that is more valued. And Abuela is so scared that she would rather hang on to the monster that she knows than risk anything else yeah and 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 we see the impact that that has on all the members of her family and you know and we get a very disney ending where the the house collapses under the literal weight of abuela's (laughs) expectations and you know mirabelle kind of runs off and in in embarrassment or sadness or pain because of the houses and the and the miracles collapse and they reconnect and and they start to see each other and understand each other in a way that they obviously never have before yeah and through this reconnection the family's magic is reborn bruno is welcomed back in by abuela and we get this very nice disney ending to what was uh, a very in many ways dysfunctional family dynamic Yeah. yeah one thing that i think was a really cool metaphor was when the house was collapsing everybody was using their powers to try to go get the candle and what Mirabel did was she asked Casita to put the what became a ladder down and while everybody is like swinging and jumping and throwing and catching and using their powers to get up there and falling short all she does is she trudges one step after the next up this ladder and she's ultimately the one that gets there. And I thought that, that, yeah, I thought that that was really a beautiful metaphor of a gift is just using what you have and adding perseverance to that. So her gift was, she had a relationship with the house that maybe the others didn't have in the same way. And she said, Casita help me. And she got this ladder and she's like, great. Now I'm going to climb up there. I'm brave. I'm, fearless. I value this family. I actually value the enchantment of Encanto. And so like, I'm Mm going to persevere. And I thought that that was really a beautiful way to be like, in the end, their powers didn't help them save the house. And her lack of powers gave her the skills to have what was actually needed in that moment. Yeah. Which was her gift. Uh, Well, her gift is the, is not having a gift. Her gift is sort of Sort of being able to to be herself without that pressure. Yeah. Yeah, the house gives you what you need, and she didn't need anything because she had it all. That's right. That's right. And Abuela, (laughs) to her credit, does sort of tie that on a nice bow of like you, meaning Mirabelle and each individual member of the family, like you are the gift. Mm -hmm. You are the you are who are what matters, right? Not what you can do for the family or what you can do for the the village and the community. You know, it's so your your feelings first, your ability to take care of yourself and be okay first. Yeah. 
And everybody has their own sets of skills that work perfectly for something. Yeah. 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 A gift or no gift. Yeah. Being yeah. able to hear through walls wasn't going to help Antonio feel comfortable walking up the aisle at his ceremony, but her love was. That's yeah. right. That's right. And, you know, I, I sort of tease to you like my hot take, but, it, you know, as we're talking about it, it doesn't really feel like that hot of a take anymore. <laughs> uh, it's more just sort of like what we now see clearly about each individual member of this family in retrospect after they all come through this experience, which is that okay. these gifts were nice, fun, cool things they could all do. But in many ways, they were just as much, if not more, curses. Oh, yeah. And that that was going to be my hot take, which was basically like, all superpowers are curses. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, all gifts. Because are... if you look at some of these individual experiences, right, and if we went through them, it, it becomes each one becomes more tragic than the next. Because mm -hmm. we have... Uh, Mirabelle, who, as we said, was maybe spared some of this. Mm, her curse was a gift. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So let's think about if we started with uh, her sisters, right? So we have Issa and we have uh, Louisa, who we know from their songs. Their gifts are, if nothing else, like things that make it very difficult for them to just be themselves. And think about, you know, being someone in town who's like, oh, the strongest. Like, oh, obviously, you're going to be asked to move bridges and house. churches yeah. and donkeys yeah. and fix the house and and obviously if you're Issa and you can create flowers you're expected to be beautiful and perfect mm -hmm. and all these things yeah. and the pressure that naturally comes with that quote-unquote gift yeah but you and I also talked about the ant and I think that the ant in many ways Peppa is one of the most tragic because <laughs> it's like she seems sad or mad or or stressed like the whole movie even her face just kind of looks a little bit like crazed or tense like something like she's not okay mm -hmm. but every time you see her it's like peppa you, you have a cloud mm -hmm. and it's basically like i translated that and every time i i heard someone say that i got more and more upset it was like yeah what's wrong why are uh -huh. you upset like shut it down, like uh -huh. pull it together. And man, when you frame it that way, it's like, is it fun to have a power like that? It doesn't seem like it's fun at all. <laughs> what I think is really nice about that power is, or, or really representative of that power is that that's how so many of us feel about our feelings. So when we are anxious sure. or sad yes. or angry, we then get anxious about feeling anxious or angry about yep. feeling sad or angry about being angry. Like, oh, no, people can see me feeling this way. Yeah. yeah. And then we feel like we're in a, a, a consistent state of anxiety about our anxiety. Whereas imagine how much less anxious Peppa would be if she was just allowed to have her clouds, right? Like, oh, okay, I know. Great, whatever. And I think that that's such well, a or, or I wonder us. if it was like, hey, I, I see you have a cloud. Like, is everything okay? Do you want to talk about it? Like, if it was actually a validating, supportive response, mm -hmm. as opposed to like, oh, my God, look at a load of Peppa with the rain again. Yeah, keep it together. Get rid of it. Yeah. Which is not that different from our experience. Yeah, right. This this felt true for us all. Like, yeah. imagine being the mom whose food can heal any ailment, right? Mm -hmm. You would just be cooking all the time. I, exactly, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, hey, oh, 
you know, uh, uh, Mrs. Madrigal, uh, I have a, a sniffle. Could you whip up an arepa? And it's like, go take some allergy medicine, man. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> I, I get it. The guy with the broken hand or whatever. It's like, but gosh, you just start to see this family as a bunch of individuals who need time for themselves yeah, as opposed to caring for every single other person in the family yeah. or in the village. And bringing it back to Peter Parker, right? Yes. With, With great, great power, power comes great responsibility. great responsibility. Yeah. And like all these people around him die or are constantly threatened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like it, my theory, I think holds, I haven't been able to think of a superhero yet. Who's like, Oh yeah, they're just life. Their life is just objectively better as a result of this superpower. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you can think of any, please let me know. Cause I would love to feel better about this this very sad perspective I've now developed on all superhero content. Which is so funny. But there would never be a story about <laughs> that person. Remember, imagine how boring that show would be if they were like, oh, here, they, oh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, the, the old one, not the new That's one. That's not bad. The new one, a That's lot of bad, bad stuff happens. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's much so more funny. dramatic. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Her more her her drama is just more like hijinks than yeah. Uh, like she's like I'm trauma. a teenager with normal teenage problems. Also, my cat talks. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. So you know, I think if we take away anything, it's like you know maybe you wouldn't want a super powered family because then you'd be expected to do so many other things as a result. Mm -hmm. And it's just easier just to not have to deal with that stuff. Well, I think it's also all relative, right? Because whatever gifts that we have, we're expected to use them. I know so many patients who a reason for continuing to do something that they don't want to do that they've been given from others is, but you're so good at it. Right. And, you know, as yeah. therapists, I don't know if you experience this, but, you know, you become the person that. And just for the record, this is not me complaining about it. I think this is just a dynamic that lots of professions experience. You know, if you're the lawyer, you know, the family comes to you with legal questions. If you're the therapist, it's like, oh, a friend of mine needs a maybe needs a therapist. Like, can I have you can I have him call you? Can you know you have any recommendations? Because that is your power or you're the thing you become known for. And if you're not doing that, can you be uh non therapist? You're, you're a resource. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah for better or Luckily worse. Luckily for me. Yeah, luckily for me, people don't turn to me as their therapist if they're like a friend or family member, which a lot of therapists do see friends and family members doing that to them. Yeah. I'm really grateful that that does not happen for me. And you're right. Like people will say like, hey, do you know somebody who? Sure. Um, and you do become a source of information. And, oh, sure. And it happens. So whether you're, you know, being able to lift up mountains or here miles away or you're just very good at organizing things mm -hmm. we all have our own gifts that can become curses if we let them yeah and and don't feel like you have to use your gift all the time just because you have it yeah don't feel like you have to monetize your passion either yeah well yeah there's a whole nother lesson in there probably somewhere too yeah <laughs> Well, so we can, we can, as usual, we can probably go through all the, the various dynamics of this for a whole other hour, but I think it's a good opportunity for us to kind of check in with uh, how realistic and entertaining we found this movie. I will ask you, how about on a scale of one to five comically large bee stings, <laughs> because I loved the, the dad, you know, how accurate did you find Encanto in terms of you know, representation of 
all these different things we're talking about, intergenerational trauma, family dynamics, the different things that we've talked about so far. As usual, Disney does a fantastic job with this. And so on a scale from one to five comically large bee stings, I give them a five because there are so many things that they represented in such a small amount of time and in with such beautiful casual accuracy that we didn't even get to get to all of them. Like uh, Tio Bruno's clearly superstitious slash OCD behaviors to we didn't even get to talk about the shame and guilt that Mirabelle goes through. And yet, even though you and I didn't get to talk about it, those things were all so clearly represented in this movie that we don't even need to talk about it because it's so obvious. So yeah, as usual, Disney does a bang up job of this um, and they get a five out of five for me. Yeah, and and to this you point, I, I could definitely see us adding some more thoughts and feelings about Encanto to our Patreon. So um, if you don't already pre- yeah, subscribe so to that, more. check it out, and we will have some more thoughts on Encanto over there for sure. Yeah. 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 Okay, Ryan. Yes. On a scale of one to five mice in a made up telenovela behind the wall (laughs) how entertaining was this i have a hard time sort of like picking out any flaws or anything that made it not entertaining Mm -hmm. even if lin-manuel did sort of plagiarize himself in some of the songs that they sound (laughs) suspiciously like hamilton you know it was still just really entertaining i've found myself re-watching it even my daughter who does not typically like re-watch movies right away um was eager to jump in and watch Encanto for the third time with me when i told her i was talking about it on the show so um i have i don't have any other option but to give it a five out of five i agree it's very entertaining yeah it's so good and i think this is the second time that a disney type movie got a perfect 10 from us all right well then it's a lot of a lot of pressure on disney then to keep it up high high expectations gotta keep it up that's right you've you've set yourself up with this gift to do this we expect you to continue it (laughs) don't let it become a curse that's right So we're at the end for today. So thank you, everybody, for joining us. Thank you for listening, as always. Thank you for those of you who have uh, requested things for us to cover. We are excited to, to continue doing that. We've got some great episodes coming up. So please check us out on all the various social medias. And we can't wait yeah. to, to check in with you again next week. Yeah, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.